Okay, thank you, Brother Dale. Got a Bible tonight? Turn to Psalm 7, and we'll... Uh, man, I looked back, and it was November 2nd was the last time we looked at this. And so uh, we'll uh, pick up where we left off then. And we're going to talk about the fact that uh, you've probably heard somebody say this. Well, you don't have any right to judge me. Because now, it used to be John 3.16 was the verse everybody knew. Now it's not. It's now judge not lest ye be judged. And uh, people say, well, you don't have a right to judge me. I'll just let God judge me. You know. Now, for those of us who know the Lord, I'm comfortable with letting the Lord judge me. Okay? Because I find in Him an all-knowing, but also a merciful and loving Heavenly Father. However, there are a lot of people that I hear say that. Sometimes you'll hear it somebody on a debate on TV or something like that. Well, you have no right to say anything. I'll just let God be my judge. And I wonder, do they know what they're saying? Because that's a God that can't be fooled. And that's a God who doesn't just go, Oh, well, you meant well, and you know all of that. Now, He does judge motives, granted. But um, he doesn't just kind of overlook things and try to keep the peace and, you know, all of that. I mean, he zeroes in on those things. And that's what's going to be the uh, amazing and yet terrifying thing about the great white throne judgment. The Bible says that the dead, small and great, and, and it's the lost dead, are going to be called up to stand before the Lord. And the Bible says that books are going to be open, not just one book, not just the book of life, but books. And those books contain everything they have ever done and more so. Because it will even say not only what they did that looked good in front of people, but was done for a selfish, a humanistic motive, for example. Because the cry of defense that the lost people are going to give is, I was a good person. In the book of Proverbs, it says every man proclaims his own goodness, right? It's easy to do that. And the world likes to put on a show, and they like to be a good person. And whenever you uh, watch something on TV, maybe a movie or something like that, and the word redemption comes up, have you ever noticed it's almost always... You've got to redeem yourself. Now let me ask you, is it possible for you to redeem yourself? No. has to be done for you. But in the world's eyes, if the good outweighs the bad, nearly every religion except Christianity teaches that there's some kind of a balancing scale and a judgment that takes place, and God puts the good on one side and the bad on the other and hopefully the good will outweigh the bad as if we can squeak in on the curve or something like that and yet uh, the Bible says things that are kind of challenging and frightening be ye perfect as your father in heaven also is perfect we can't hide behind the fact that we're only human we can't hide behind the fact that uh, we thought it would work out okay. God knows everything about it. And those books that are going to be opened up on that day are going to be 
the prosecuting attorney's uh, playbook as these people are brought up and they make their defense and their defense is going to be shattered and smashed by an all-knowing God and there will be no escape. There will be no appeals. Nothing will be overturned by Congress or anything else. There won't be any jury. There's no need for a jury. There'll never be any evidence that will be brought in that the judge goes, oh, I didn't know that. I'll have to change my mind. Nothing like that at all. This is signed, sealed, and delivered. And uh, that is the point where the Bible says then that they will be cast into the lake of fire that's prepared for the devil and his angels. So I think a lot of people don't understand when they say, well, God will be my judge. There's no fooling God. You're not going to be able to snow him. You're not going to be able to get away with anything because he sees and he knows everything. And we're going to see he knows it even in advance. Okay, And so for the believer, though, when we think about God, there are those times when we have to say, Lord... What people say about me, you know that that's not true. You know that that's not what was intended. You know that it's been misunderstood. And we can make an appeal to God. I think about um, some of the people that, um, well, just the other day, when the Senate passed this, um, what do they call it, Respect for Marriage Bill. Okay, And it's basically legalized perversion of marriage and all of that, right? And uh, our Senator Lankford stood up and said that it uh, needs to have more guarantees of religious freedom because there are churches like ours, there are nonprofit organizations, there are Christian universities and schools that would stand right where we are and uh, we, we will be out of step with the federal government. And... Uh, I'm sure probably the threat will be you'll lose your tax-exempt status or something like that that will go on. And so he was standing up to uh, defend churches like ours, and I appreciate that. But don't you know he's going to pay a high price for that in today's world? And there are so many people that we know that try to do the right thing, and they stand up for the right thing, and what happens to them? Well, they get canceled, as we call it now. This cancel culture that we live in, and they pay a very high price. And they get called all kinds of things that are not true of them. Um, uh, it's easy now for the cry of racist to come out against somebody, and that can ruin somebody, can it? We think about um, other things that could be considered wrong or bad in today's culture and sometimes the only thing you do, you're not being hateful, you're just being truthful. And you're being loving because you actually tell the truth. But it's completely misconstrued in today's world. And so uh, you think about people that are in the government, that are, are Christians, and they stand up for what's right. They pay a high price. But it's not only that. It's on Twitter and Facebook. It's in business. Uh, all kinds of things now. What about our Christian school teachers? 
and uh, people like that. It's a, it's a hard world and people are misunderstood and they're maligned and they're criticized and they're judged unfairly. And in this world that screams out, we just want tolerance. They are the most intolerant people that you've ever been around in your life. And for those who tell us that we are hate-filled and judgmental and yet they're the ones that have hatred toward us and our God and our Bible and they also were very judgmental toward us. And uh, all kinds of attacks will take place on that. And yet they call us to be the ones that are filled with hate. And of course we are not. So you have an idea of what David is doing in Psalm 7. And we don't know the whole situation. But David has in effect been attacked and maligned and lied about. And all of this has been coming after him. And he has no place else to turn but to the Lord. And it's a sad thing whenever we kind of hear that and we go, oh, poor David, no place to go but to the Lord. That, that doesn't say much about our faith and our confidence in God. In fact, whenever we get to the point where we have no other place to turn, we ought to be excited about that because the Lord is the one who knows our broken heart. The Lord is the one who knows our wounds. The Lord is the one who fully understands what it is that we are going through and He understands even our innocence in that situation. And so we turn to Him and He is, as the book of Hebrews says, our sympathetic high priest. He's a high priest who actually understands what we are going through on earth. How many times was Jesus lied about? How many times did people bear false witness against him? Even at his trial before his crucifixion, they did that. And it was so patently obvious that they were lying, they couldn't even agree with one another. And yet uh, it was still used by a lot of people against him even when Pilate says I find no fault in him that was not a statement where Pilate was talking about the deity and the perfection of Christ he's just talking about as a Roman speaking about Roman law that there was nothing worthy of death that he had done and yet even on that the crowd and the mob still screamed out away with him and let him be crucified let his blood be on us and on our children and you remember Pilate ceremoniously washes his hands and says, let his blood be upon you and your children, and they, and they took that. What a, what a horrible scene that was. So do you think the Lord Jesus can identify with you when you're attacked or when you're misunderstood? Sometimes the misunderstood part is the worst part about it. I remember hearing about a a lawyer at a law firm who was a single guy. And every year around Thanksgiving, they would give all of the partners there a turkey. And this guy didn't have any need for a turkey, especially a big one like they would give out. Uh, but every year, he would dutifully go up and, and uh, the senior partners would give him a turkey and he would express his thanks and his appreciation for working there and come back thinking, what in the world am I going to do with this? So some of his uh, colleagues decided they would play a trick on him. And they made a turkey out of paper mache and they put just enough of the real thing sticking out on it so he would think it was real if he looked at it or felt it, but the rest was just paper mache and sawdust and, you know, that type of thing. And so they uh, snickered when he walks up there and he takes the turkey, the fake turkey, and he walks back, you know, and, and they're all thinking, what a surprise he's going to get when he finds out this thing isn't real. 
Well, the lawyer was a young guy, and he was, uh, as I said before, single, and he was sitting on a bus on his way home. He saw on the bus this lady with several children, and you could tell by the way she was dressed that she was not very well off. You could tell by the way her kids were dressed that they were not uh, very well off, and he felt sorry for her. And he uh, started talking to her, and she was working two jobs, coming home from her second job and having to pick up her children. And he asked her, what are you going to do for Thanksgiving? And, and uh, with tears in her eyes, she said, I don't know. I have no idea what we're going to do. And he said, how would you like to have a turkey? And she said, oh, sir, I can't afford a turkey. And he goes, you know what? I'll sell this one to you for a dollar. And her eyes lit up. And her face brightened up and she pulled out a dollar. She didn't have very much, but she pulled out the dollar, gave it to the lawyer. And he gives her that fake turkey and says sold because he thought it was the real thing. He had no idea it was fake. The next day when he got back to his law firm, his colleagues are all, you know, waiting for him to come in. And they go, hey, what would you think of that turkey? And they're all laughing, wanting to hear his story when he opened it up and found out it was fake. And he said, oh, I, I gave it away. What? Yeah, there was a lady on the bus and she didn't have a turkey and so I sold it to her for her last dollar. Can you imagine how they all felt when he found out the turkey was a fake and he had taken a poor woman's dollar and sold it to her as though it was real only for her to take it home and unwrap it and find out that it was a fake. Now, there was nothing malicious on that. It was a practical joke. They thought it would be funny. But can you imagine what that lady thought? And can you imagine how that young attorney felt? And can you imagine how all of his buddies felt? In fact, uh, they said that for the next week, all of them rode every bus they could looking for that lady so they could explain to her that it wasn't a cruel joke that it wasn't somebody who was a shyster, that it was just a prank that had gone wrong. Have you ever been misunderstood? Have you ever had something that just didn't go quite right? Maybe you said something as a joke, or maybe somebody said something to you, and they were joking, but it cut you to the core because you didn't understand what they said. Have you ever gotten a text? And when you read the text, you look at it and go, what in the world do they mean by that? Because with a text, you can't really explain. You don't know how it's going to come across. Have you ever sent one that after you sent it, you wished you could take it back because it wasn't quite what you meant to say? You ever had anything like that happen? This is where David is. And whoever this is, probably kings from surrounding nations, spreading propaganda, spreading misinformation, or maybe we could call it this, fake news about David, to try to undermine him, to try to destroy his credibility, to try to mess up his authority as a king, to try to cause unrest, to try to uh, make the tribes not real sure that they want this man to be their king whatever it was David said they're about to tear me apart like lions I know that feeling you probably do as well and so when we look at this and we think about what people are under the scrutiny they're under the the um Oh, the persecution I guess we would say that people are under now or maybe that you're under yourself
How is it that we could pray for people like this or maybe even to pray for ourselves as we go through it? It's a horrible thing to go through. Psalm 79, just verses 9 and 10 are all we're going to look at tonight. How about praying this? Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. Isn't that a good place for an amen? Can you imagine? Let it come to an end. It's going to run out one of these days. Why not today? Let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. But establish the just, those who are right. For the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. My defense is of God who saves the upright in heart. When we uh, just look at those verses and we think about it, wickedness just kind of sounds awful. Uh, Let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. And those words imply that it's not just somebody who just kind of messes up or or does something that they didn't mean. This is intentional here. And so what they were saying about David was not true, but what they were doing, and David is talking about it, it's absolutely true, and it's more than truthful, it's intentional on their part. They are trying to destroy David and undermine him and his kingdom and the people of God there in Israel. Let the wickedness of the wicked, just let it end. I just want it to stop. But when he says establish the just those who are right with God, those who are justified before God, those who have a right standing before God by grace through faith, he says, I want you to establish the just. Take those people who believe right and who have all of the lies being told about them and bring them out of that and then clean them up and dust them off and set them up on a pedestal I guess we would say on a high place so that people can see they're not what the gossiper said they're not what the slanderer said they're not what the wicked people said establish them so that people see they are right with you that they're following your word that they love you and that they are honest and that they have integrity there are times when maybe everything everybody says about you is a lie But unless God intervenes, you're still going to be damaged. You may have come out of the fire, but you still smell like smoke. And the old saying is, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? And so maybe not everything that was said about you is true, but you smell enough enough like smoke, some of it must be true. It is true sometimes that while our critics rarely hit the bullseye they also rarely miss the target but in this case they were missing it completely and David is praying for the establishment of those who think right believe right are acting right are doing right don't just let them fade into oblivion don't let them be lost in the mist and in the fog and in the smoke of accusation and innuendo bring them out and set them up so that they are seen to be people of integrity and he says for the righteous God test the hearts and the minds what if um, you stand before the Lord 
and you've got problems, you've got sin, and you readily admit that. Because 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? That is an admission that even though we are saved and even though we're justified, we're not sanctified yet. We're not glorified yet. We still have a ways to go. We're still stumbling around. We still have ignorance in our life. We still have things that we don't understand. We have, worse, sometimes think that we do understand only to find out later we had missed it. And that's true even of the Bible. I'm still learning the Word of God. And I'm still learning principles out of the Word of God. And every once in a while, uh, even after all these years, I run across things and I go, wow, I completely misunderstood that particular verse or the context of it. Thank you, Lord, for teaching that to me. Because it takes time to put the jigsaw puzzle of the Word of God together. And sometimes we try to force pieces into the wrong places. And we're absolutely convinced this particular piece goes there and we press hard on it only to find out, no, it really goes in a different place. We're growing and we are learning as we do all of this. But here's a person that is... um, Well, they have a religion where they have a few rules that they keep, and boy, do they ever keep them well. And when you were to, if you were to look at them on the outside, they may look a little better than I do. I mean, they knock on more doors than I do. They fast more than I do. They spend more times in prayer. In fact, maybe they even spend five times a day praying toward Mecca. And I only prayed three times today, or two, or one maybe. Or maybe I even forgot to pray. If you look at the outside and you ask for a judgment from the world, who is more devout? Who is more committed to their faith? Who is more pious, we might say? Probably they'll look at that Muslim guy. But when we stand before the Lord, what makes the difference? Because the Lord looks upon the heart. And when the Lord looks upon the heart, he looks upon the Muslim, a man who is trusting in himself, trusting in his rituals, trusting in a false God, following a false scripture, quote-unquote. And then when he looks at me, a man who sins and falls short of the glory of God. But when he looks at my heart, he sees that I am trusting in Christ alone for my salvation He is seeing that I'm trusting in the finished work of Christ on the cross. His shed blood for me. And that I'm not claiming my own righteousness. And I'm not trusting in any ritual or any work that I have done. I'm letting the blood of Calvary speak for me. And he welcomes me into his presence and not the other man who appears to be more moral. Now that's a dilemma all of us face if we don't understand the truth. God tests the heart. And he looks upon the heart, those who have truly and fully and finally trusted in him as Lord and Savior, and he alone as Lord and Savior. And that's a big issue because a lot of people that will name the name of Jesus and they say, I'm trusting in the death of Christ on the cross and his resurrection, but they're also trusting in some ritual or something else that they do. And you've got to cut all of that off. It's only Jesus and Jesus only that saves us and gives us righteousness and justifies us before the Lord. And so the Lord tests the hearts and minds. 
That word minds is an interesting word in the Hebrew. You want to know what it is? It's kidney. He tests the hearts and the kidneys. Boy, they looked back then at things a little different than we do, didn't they? Even in the New Testament, if you have a King James Version, when Paul writes to the Philippians, he said, if there's any bowels and mercies. Okay, there's your anniversary card for next year. I love you with all of my bowels. And that's what the Scripture says. That's what they do. Because the Jews considered this part of your body, your abdomen, to be the seed of your emotions. Okay? You say, oh, well, how crazy. Well, how many times have you said, I just feel in my gut that this probably isn't a good idea. See, you're feeling it. That's why we say that. If you are driving down a road and the speed limit's 35, but... I mean, you're just coasting along at a, at a nice leisurely 70 in a 35-mile zone, and you come up over a hill and you see a cop car, where does it hit you? Right there in the gut. When somebody comes and gives you bad news, that phone call rings, you know, that phone rings at uh, <coughs> 1 in the morning. What happens? It hits you right in the gut. Sometimes we say, my stomach was in my throat. What are we saying? We understand this. And so when the Bible would talk about and use the expression like bowels and mercies, it's not being gross. Our kidneys here, it's talking about the inner hidden parts of us that we can't see, but brother, do we ever feel the effects. And so the Lord tests the heart. That would be your motive. And he tests the mind, what you're really thinking about things. Now, come on. Somebody comes up to us and say, does this make me look fat? What you say might be different than what you think. And the Lord knows. Remember that Geico commercial? Honest Abe and his wife Mary says, does this dress make me look fat? And he goes, maybe a little like that. And he's in trouble, right? Because sometimes we don't always say what we think. In fact, with our kids, especially when they're little, we beg them not to say everything they think, right? The, uh, those who uh, work in the preschool department, you have kids in there they know more about you than you realize you know why because your kids pray for my mom and dad they fought a lot on the way to church today pray for my parents daddy didn't come home last night you know stuff like that they don't think anything about it do they and so uh, we can act like everything's okay we can act like and say things are going great but the lord knows the truth about all of us, doesn't he? And so he tests the mind and he tests the heart. As a man thinketh in his heart, what? So is he, yeah. So Solomon said. And so that's where it really comes down. Even we talk about that in our cliches. We talk about getting to the heart of the matter. It's what really, really matters and what is real inside of us. Now, we can cover it up with a lot of things, 
but the Lord knows. So when somebody casually says, well, God is my judge, might ought to think, might ought to slow down, might ought to consider. That may not be what they think it is. And yet here we are tonight, people in this room who are born again and saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen on that if that's true? And here we are as his children and he loves us with an everlasting love. He's made a covenant with us in his blood. We talk about that every time we do a Lord's Supper. And he is the one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. And yet he knows a whole lot more about you than anyone else on earth. Because you can act in a certain way that makes you likable or even loved. But if that person knew what was in your heart, they might feel a little differently about it. Think about this. The God who created the universe sent his son to die for you and because you have put your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation he comes to live in you and has committed himself to you and says I'll never leave you or forsake you even when you're cold even when you're indifferent even when you're angry even when you're rebellious even when you're stubborn uh, how many other things do we have to say and yet he never leaves in fact he has promised he who hath begun a good work in you shall complete it in the day of Christ Jesus. I'm telling you, it's good to know the truth of the word of God and to know that when I'm faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself, Paul told Timothy. And so it's good to know we are secure in him. We are his sheep. We have heard his voice and he has given us eternal life and he's promised we shall never perish it's not based on us it's not based on our performance which ought to be better and ought to be stellar shouldn't it but it's not and it's based upon him and what he has done for us and so we think about that and we rest it's what it means to rest in the lord now notice as david speaks about this he number one gives a plea to stop wickedness doesn't your heart long for that can you imagine what it's going to be like to be in heaven where there won't be any gossip where there won't be any misunderstanding where there won't be any misspeaking where there'll never be anything that is forgotten where there'll never be anything that is taken wrong where there'll never be any malicious talk or anything like that oh it's going to be great to be able to converse with people, to converse freely, to converse about everything that you're thinking because everything within you is going to be pure and good and loving and kind and beneficial and helpful and holy. Don't have that here. That's a hard thing to come by here. And you know, it's strange how quickly our old nature can rear its ugly head just in a moment, just in an instant, that temper can be lost. Just in a moment, in an instant, that old suspicion comes up. And those old feelings of what do you really mean? And what is going on here that I don't really know? And all of that. In heaven, you'll be completely free from all of that. Because evil will come 
to an end. And so he prays, oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. All the lies, all of the rumors, all of the threats, all of the accusations, all of that never again for eternity, not just for a brief period of time like we have now when we say, oh, this is a good day, or oh, the family getting together, it was a good time for once, and we, everything went really well for eternity. Let that sink in. Number two, David gives a plea uh, for the Lord to support the righteous, support them, lift them up, hold them up, because we waver. And about the time we take a stand, well, does anybody in here besides me ever second guess yourself? And about the time you're convinced, this is the thing to do, I've got to do it, and I'm going to stand even if no one else does. And then you do it. Then you say what needs to be said. Then you do it, and you do it to try to be helpful, but as soon as you do, you go, oh, was that the right way to do it? Did I do it at the right time? Maybe, maybe, maybe they didn't understand what I was saying. Maybe I didn't communicate it well. And we kind of waver and we waffle on all of that. I uh, illustrate it like this, that before I became a pastor, I really knew how to pastor. As soon as I became a pastor, I knew nothing. And I felt like I was vulnerable, like I was up on top of a flagpole naked and everybody was shooting at me with a BB gun and I didn't know which way to turn or what to do. And you're all going now, kill the image, kill the image. But that's what it felt like, very, very vulnerable. And anybody who steps into leadership, you're probably promoted up to your level of incompetence and uh, it's a tough thing to do. And sometimes you feel like everything you do is good or bad or right or wrong or every, uh, you know, uh, what is it, the, the law that says every action creates an equal and opposite reaction. Well, not if you're a leader. Sometimes what five people put pressure on you to do and you finally go, okay, I guess I need to do it. Now you're hearing from 50 who hated it and you never heard from them before. And so David is saying, I need to be supported. I need to be lifted up, and I need for the Lord to show me that I am the anointed of God. I'm not king by my choice. I'm not king by the people's vote. I'm not king because a foreign government allows me to do this. I am the king of Israel because God put me here, and his servant Samuel anointed me to do this. I need to be established in all of this. And sometimes we can feel the same way. Lord, don't just stop the wicked and leave a void. Build up the righteous and get them established and make them firm and give them credibility and give them gravitas as they face all of this. And we need to pray that for our leaders as well. Number three, it's a plea to examine motives. See, it's easy to act like I'm doing the right thing and yet, when you look in my heart, maybe it was manipulative. And if you've ever had a toddler, you understand this because they can have a way of saying the right thing and stringing you along as to what you ought to do. And then you find out what they really wanted later on. And if you have teenagers, they can do the same thing. Well, what about people that run for office? What about people that even in the Congress, they make deals and they say, if you'll support my bill, I will do this for you, and then they don't. Well, what if we knew everybody's motive? Number one, we probably never would sleep again. And number two, you would be eating Rolaids like candy. 
And uh, the third thing is you probably wouldn't have very many friends because you'd be suspicious all the time. And think about this. The Lord knows. He knows every false thing you have ever said. He knows every false promise you have ever made. He knows about those vows and commitments that you really didn't intend to keep, but you had to say the right thing. He even knows when you pray, when you're trying to use the right words to butter him up and to get him to do something that he probably wouldn't otherwise do. I mean, isn't that silly how we think like that? And yet we try to do that kind of stuff. And somebody will tell us, here's the secret phrase, and when you pray this, God has to answer it. Really? Really? I mean, who do we think we are? Okay? So, when you think about this, the Lord examines motives is the call here. For the righteous, uh, he says here, uh, God tests the hearts and the minds. And if you are a righteous person, you have nothing to fear. But if you are a wicked person and you are living and acting on a lie, then you've got something to worry about because God sees all the way through it, doesn't he? You can't fake him out and you can't fool him on any of that it's the unseen hidden things that cannot be covered up they cannot be manipulated before his eyes in uh, psalm 139 verse 4 it says even before a word is on my tongue behold O lord you know it all together so those times when we slip and we say oh i didn't mean that the lord knows whether we did or not and the lord knows whether that was just a revelation of what was really in our heart for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks, right? And a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things, right? Well, what does that say about the evil things that come out of our mouths? It's a revelation of what's in our heart, and the Lord knows that, and that's what he's working on on you, and that is what is going to be the judgment of those who just casually say, well, let God be my judge, because you can't fool the Lord. And number four, David says it's a plea to protect. He says, my defense is of God who saves the upright where? In heart. Not just the upright in action. That certainly ought to be there. But it's got to be backed up by a sincere and a truthful and an upright heart. And just to try to fool God by doing the right thing and saying the right thing without meaning it is not going to go very long. If you're going to grow in the Lord and you are going to be the kind of Christian you're supposed to be, he's going to do some heart surgery on you. So uh, defense here, my defense in this translation is of God. The word defense there is the Hebrew word for shield. My shield, we could say, is of God. And what does a shield do? Well, Ephesians chapter 6, the shield of faith protects us from the fiery darts of the wicked. So a shield would be for protection. But did you know back in those days the shield would have often the crest of the king on it? And so when you're in the midst of battle and in the heat of battle, you could identify who was with you and who was against you because the enemy would have a different crest on their shield, a different insignia. But your fellow soldiers, they would have 
that and you always knew who the king was because his shield was bigger and more ornate than anyone else's. And so protection and identity. And so when the Lord defends us and when he protects us, he is not only giving us a defense from the attack of the enemy, but he is identifying himself with us and up us with him that we are his children and can't you picture him as he takes as the king in battle the victorious king and puts his shield in front of us and protects us when we don't know what to do what to say where to go who to trust and the Lord says you can trust me and he identifies with us because he defends those whose hearts are right and I close with 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, any sinners in here? I didn't, well, amen? You're looking spiritual at me. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And isn't it great to know that the Lord Jesus, he never defends our sin, but he always defends us. He never defends our sin, but he always stands with us. And that shield protects us and it identifies us as being on the side of God because we bear his identity as we walk through this earth praise the lord for that amen amen let's pray lord we thank you that you are our defender it says several places in the bible you are our shield and so the shield is not just something that is held in front of us the shield is you yourself and I thank you, Father, that when the enemy comes after us, we'll never be tempted above what we're able to bear because with it you provide a way of escape that we're able to endure the temptation. Thank you that you give us the strength. Thank you that you give us the instruction. Thank you that you give us the way because you indeed are the way. Thank you that you never leave us, even though you know all about us, even though you know what's going to come out of our mouth after this service or tomorrow or next week and you know where we're going to fall even before we fall and yet you never leave us and while you don't defend our sin you do defend us and you correct us Lord we can't say thank you enough for that because if we could lose our salvation we would but I thank you that you're the one according to the first verse in the book of Jude you keep us and we're so grateful for that. So Lord, defend us. And defend those who do right. And stop wickedness in its tracks. And have mercy on us. And establish the righteous. And thank you, Lord, that you look far beyond the surface. And we're comfortable with that because you have given us a new heart. And a new renewed mind. And we're grateful for that. And your spirit dwells within us in those hidden places and so for that we say thank you and we pray this now in the name of Jesus amen